welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 18th of November 2012, entitled, Where Art Thou? And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. The sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, from dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Father, we do thank you again this evening, Lord, for the time that we've had, for just being able to join our hearts and Lord, sing the songs and the hymns unto you. Thank you for the privilege, the freedom that we have to be here this evening for this place that, Lord, you have for us to meet in. Father, we thank you that as we gather here this evening that, Lord, in our midst we have your preserved word before us. We have your spirit present within us. And, Father, we are not dependent upon man this evening, but, Father, we're looking to you. Lord, that you would take and speak to our hearts as only you can. Lord, may you take your spirit and make these words alive into our hearts. You know the heart of each one. You know exactly what each of us needs this evening. Father, we do believe that whatever those needs are, you are able to meet them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Of course, this is a very familiar account that we read here in the book of Genesis. We find that, that temptation coming in the garden as the serpent beguiled, deceived Eve there with the tree by basically taking and turning and twisting God's words just that bit. You're not really going to die. And he appealed to that pride. You're going you're gonna to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to be more wise because of this. In other words, he simply tried to make it seem that God was trying to keep something from them when God had created them to live forever. 
But Satan did beguile them. And as a result of that, we find that once that one sin of disobedience, and I've made this statement before, you know, you stop and think about it. <laughs> that was the only sin they could commit. There was only one commandment that God had given them. There was only one prohibition that was upon them, but that's where Satan tempted them. And that's where they fell by disobeying God. And of course, the next thing that we find in the scripture is that once that happened, they recognized their nakedness. They began to sew the fig leaves together, and here comes the Lord God through the cool of the day in the garden, and he asked the very first question that was ever asked of mankind, the very first question, where art thou? Where art thou? And, you know, I got to thinking about that, and, you know, that was the first question that God asked there in the garden. God wasn't asking Adam where he was because God needed to know. God was asking Adam where he was because Adam needed to know. And, you know, the truth is that still, I believe if we really stop and think about it, that's the first question that God asked each and every one of us. We talked about last week as we looked into the book of Romans about not being ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Not being ashamed, being willing to, to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fact that, you know, each and every one of us, we need to stand more boldly. We need to be counted for Jesus. Many of the people we meet, it might be through us that will be their only opportunity of ever seeing that Jesus. We find that as we begin to think about witnessing to people and trying to win the lost to Christ, you know, have you ever really, truly, honestly, genuinely in this natural world been lost? Anybody ever been so lost you didn't know where you were? What does that feel like? It's, it's, it's a frightening experience. I mean, you know, I, I, I can think back even, even to my childhood, and I remember truly getting lost. Now, you know, really now I'd go and look at that patch of woods that I was lost in, and it would be, it would be a laugh to think, you know, that I was lost in there. But for a young man about 9 or 10 years old at the time with his cousin, and we were out there, I guess trying to be the next Daniel Boone and exploring those woods and doing all these things, and we completely lost our bearings. The next thing, you know, we're, we're trying, and it seemed like every way we went, you know, it, it, it wasn't getting us anywhere. <laughs> all we kept seeing was more trees and more trees and more trees, and that anxiety begins to build within. You see, the simple truth was is that we couldn't really get to where we wanted to go because we didn't know where we were. We were lost. And the truth is, is that when we go out to witness to the lost, the very first thing they've got to recognize before they recognize that they need to be saved is that they're lost. And sometimes that's one of our greatest challenges is for them to understand what it means to be lost in this world, to be lost and accountable for their sins. And that's why it's the first question before you can really 
There's no point in sharing the gospel with somebody that doesn't recognize that they're lost. They think they're okay. They have to first recognize their need. God asked Adam, Adam, where art thou? When Adam began to talk back to him and, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm hiding because I was afraid. I was afraid. You see, suddenly because of his sin, he'd never experienced fear before that we know of. There, there's nothing that he had to be afraid of. But suddenly he had a fear of who? Of God, of the one that he was the closest to, of the one that he'd had that sweet fellowship with in the garden. He feared uh, because he knew. He knew where he was. He knew that he was hiding from God because he had disobeyed God. Now, he didn't maybe even fully understand all the consequences of what he was doing. We certainly don't fully understand all of the consequences of our sin many times today. That's the first question that every human being must answer. Where am I? Where am I? They must first realize that they're lost, that they need to be saved. You know, that's a very pertinent question. Of course, we go on from that and we realize that we find the curse that was put upon uh, not only man when he died that day in the garden, but upon this earth and all that there is about it. But I want you to think about that because, you know, if many times when you get the opportunity to witness and to share Jesus Christ with someone, many times we are trying to get them somewhere that they don't yet realize that they need to go. The first question that they need to be answered is the very first question that God answers in the Bible. Because if you've ever been there, if you ever once realize that you're lost, then you want to do something about it. But you've got to realize that you're lost. You've got to realize that you don't know where you are and that you don't know where you're going. That's the same question that needs to be put to men. And, you know, there's only just a few answers to that question when it comes to the spiritual world. Where art thou? Well, certainly many people, when we ask that question, if they or an individual that's without Jesus Christ, where are you? You're in sin. That's simple. That's where Adam was at. He was in sin. He was trying to hide amongst the trees. He was trying to hide his nakedness with fig leaves, which would never do anyway. You see, many people are hiding today. The, Adam had nowhere to hide from God. He thought that he was. Many people today, they're hiding. They're hiding just as he did in their sin. And sometimes they're hiding in places that they think that they're okay. You know, they may be hiding in the church itself, hiding in their church membership. Maybe they're hiding in their baptism because that's where they, they feel like that they're safe and they're secure and they're okay with God because they've been baptized. Their Christian homes, their church functions, their Christian friends, the list could just go on and on and on and on. Many people are hiding from God today, just as Adam was hiding because they're still in their sin. But you and I know, just as useless as it was for Adam, 
It's useless to try to hide from God. Nobody can truly hide from God. But the first thing that we must do if we genuinely, genuinely, you know, this was, I guess, one of the things that we find that you've heard me give the comparison before of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And Peter's pouring his heart out. But he's preaching to who? He's preaching to the Jews. He's preaching to people that have been taught about God all their lives. He's, he's preaching to a people that have been taught that there was a Messiah that was going to come. We saw 3,000 people get saved because they had the truth and they knew they were looking for that one. We got the Apostle Paul when he went to Athens and he's there on Mars Hill. And, of course, they got all these different idols to all these different gods. They got a God for this and a God for that and a God for something else. You see, the truth is they didn't realize that they had a need. They had one statue there that was to the unknown God. <laughs> so Paul started right there and he said, hey, it's the one that you don't know is the one that I want to tell you about. You know that there's one out there that you don't know. He's the one that I want to tell you about. They had to come to recognize. Did a lot of people get saved that day? Not that's recorded in our Bibles. They were starting in a totally different place. When we go to, to deal with people and to witness people, all I'm saying is, look, folks, let's not overcomplicate it. The gospel is simple. And people simply, first of all and foremost, need to recognize their need. That spiritually they are lost. They are dead. They have absolutely nowhere to go. They may be trying to hide that in all of these different things, maybe even some good things in their lives. But the very first simple question that we need to get answered is the first question that God answered man, where art thou? Where are you? They must first recognize if they're in sin because there's only one place to go to if you're in sin. You need to go to God. You need to go to God for his mercy. You need to cast yourself upon his mercy that he might save you. Because there's another great place to be found today. If I ask each and every one of you here this evening, I look around. I know that each and every one of you are professed Christians. Well, the simple truth is, is that you don't have to be, or you better not be found in sin. Because if you're truly a child of God, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. And that's the place that we all need to be. And, of course, if we are in Christ as Christians, we know that as far as sin is concerned, we are there. But what about as far as in our lives? Are we in his will? Is our life where he wants it to be? Are we doing what he wants to be doing with, with our lives? You see, there's this place of perfect peace contentment, satisfaction. I don't know. I can't remember when I said it. <laughs> I say so many things. <laughs> you know, this place of peace and contentment that we have in the Lord, there's only one place in all the world. I mean, you stop and think about it. It's a big world out there. And there's all these different countries and all these different climates, all these different cultures. And do you know that 
out of all that whole big world, there's only one place, one place that you can find that real peace and contentment. It's got nothing to do with any of the geography. It's got nothing to do with the climates. You know, some were talking earlier today. It's amazing how people grow up in certain things. I mean, if you grow up where I grew up, you're used to going out in the woods. You're used to sharing them with the snakes and the bears and all these different things. You know, it's just, that's part of life, and you don't think anything about it in that kind of a climate. And yet we're talking about another young man that lives in a part of the world kind of like here where it would be a very, very, very unusual instance to see a snake. And most of the snakes you would see would not be poisonous or deadly anyway. But as we go around the world, and people may, you know, look around the world and try to figure out where, where do I fit in? Where am I going to be happy? Where am I going to be successful? But you know, in all the world, you can go anywhere you want, but if you miss that one place, you'll never know that peace, that contentment. Brother, welcome. I love your city, Birmingham, but it wasn't on my wish list when I moved here. <laughs> There's a lot of places in this world, and folks, I, I, I love this city, and I love you, but Birmingham was not the place that I thought that I even give any hint of an idea that I wanted to come to. But God had other ideas. The simple truth is, is that I have shared with you, well, there have been a lot of ups and downs in Birmingham, but as much as I love you, there's one thing, Brother Steve, one thing that has kept me here through those toughest times, and that's knowing something, that in all of that whole world out there, God's will for me was right here. I knew that with all my heart, God's will. And you see, that's the only place you'll find that peace and contentment. Where are you right now? Are you at total peace with God and with yourself knowing? You see, the one thing you've got to know, it's not you think, you know, that these are tough times and we were praying earlier for those that, that don't have work and that can't find work and we live in tough economical times and, and the truth is there aren't many places you can go in the world right now where the economies are booming, where that there's plenty of work for everybody. But it's not a question of whether you're going to have work next week or not. It's not a question of what home you're going to be living in, what roof is going to be over your head. We, can also, we think that we're going to be at peace and we're going to be content if we've got a job and we've got food on the table and we've got clothes on our back and all those things, but who was it that the Bible puts, what, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Boy, we, we lose track of the value that God puts on one soul, on one soul versus the whole world. You gain everything this world has, but it costs you your soul. You've lost everything. You see, it's not just with the lost people that needs to be answering that first question that God asked Adam there in the garden, where art thou? Where art thou? I wonder this evening as a Christian, if when God asks us that question, where 
aren't thou Christian? Are you? Because you can know. You can know with certainty. Are you in the center of God's will for your life? Are you where God wants you to be? Not where you're most comfortable. Not where it might suit you for all kind of reasons, but are you where God wants you to be in Christ? You see, the most important thing in all the world is to know that you're in Christ. And I don't care how long that we've been in church and how long we've done these things. I don't care what you've done. I would say to you once again this evening, if there is even an inkling of a doubt of where you are, because not only do you need to know where you are right now, you need to know where you're going to be when you take that last breath. You need to know where you're going to be in eternity. And now's the accepted time. Now's the only time that you can do anything about eternity. And if there's even an inkling of a doubt, there is absolutely nothing that you've got to do or anywhere that you've got to be that's more important than you getting that settled in your life and knowing with absolute certainty that you're in Christ. Your sins are taken care of. But then Christian... I'm saying that there's a place that we need to be, those that are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we need to be where God wants us to be. Whether it's right here in Bethel Free Baptist Church in Birmingham, England, or whether it's the southern tip of South America or Africa or Asia or wherever it might be, take a point. It doesn't matter. The geography makes no difference whatsoever. Know that you're where God wants you to be. Know that he's doing with your life what he wants to do with it. And you see, I believe this with all my heart. I don't believe that there is anywhere in the Bible, and I've, I've looked pretty carefully, I don't believe that there's anywhere in the Bible where that you find that God excused anyone from going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. I don't think God has ever given us a reason or excuse. I've even said many times there may come that point when you're not able physically to go, but you can go with someone else. You can go on your knees. You can help others to go. You can witness to that doctor, that nurse, or whoever it is. I've seen people. I've shared stories when I've been with people that dying in the hospital beds that knew that they were leaving this world when they didn't even have the strength themselves and we had to help them hold their hands up because they wanted to praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, the world's looking at them. What's wrong with this person? They're dying. They're wanting to praise God. That's being at peace with God and <laughs> with yourself. Where art thou this evening? Because you know there's a lot of people in this world that we know that everybody is either in sin or in Christ. <laughs> There's nowhere else. But a whole lot of the world out there, they think they're in between. They think they're in between. You see, and this can apply to believers and unbelievers alike. We can say that place of no commitment, not committing to be anywhere. 
And therefore, if you're not committing to be there, you're not really there. Somehow people think that changes it. Well, you know, there's so many places that we could look in Scripture. But notice what the Word of God says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And he says this in verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. He says that you can't. You can't serve both. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve the, the riches and, and the wealth and the things of this world and God at the same time. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and in verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. People think that somehow they can be okay with both sides. People like to kind of just cut down the middle and not be committed to anything a lot of times. You know, Revelation chapter 3, we get a pretty vivid description of that person that's trying to ride the fence, of that person that's not willing to make a commitment. Revelation chapter 3, notice what he says here in his message to Laodicea, beginning in verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, I don't mean to be over graphic, but it makes the Lord sick to his stomach. Not to be willing to commit. He said, come on. Commit one side or the other. You can't serve both sides. When you're trying to play the middle of the fence there, it makes me sick. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible speaks of having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. From such turn away. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. We have a, a great illustration here. In Acts chapter 8, let's look down beginning in verse 9. The Word of God says this, But there was a certain man called Simon, which 
before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. To him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. You see, you find Simon here, and he really, really has a real lack of understanding. He sees the power of God working on these other people's lives. He sees these great miracles that are being performed. And yet, his thought is to reach in his pocket and to pull out a bit of money. But somehow, he can buy that. He can pay for that. Folks, this world can't buy the power of God. And the simple truth is, is that in our lives, there's only one way to have the power of God on our lives. That's to be sold out to him. Not trying to straddle the fence, not trying to get by without making commitment. We live in a day when people are afraid of commitment. I mean, we live in a day when people are afraid to commit to each other as husband and wives. <laughs> they find it easier just to not make that commitment and live as if they were husband and wife without the commitment. People, they live in a day when many times they don't like to commit themselves to much of anything because they feel it's putting pressure on them. People don't want to commit to the church. People don't want to commit to have to be responsible for something People don't want to commit to the Lord, commit their lives to the Lord 
wholehearted. And it frightens a lot of people when we begin to talk about genuine, real commitment. I'm just saying we've got to answer that question. The very first question that God has ever asked, where art thou? Where are we? In sin or in Christ? If we're in Christ, are we at that true place of peace, of satisfaction, that peace that passeth all understanding that doesn't make sense, (laughs) that joy unspeakable and full of glory, in the center of his will, that peace of knowing that that's where you are. Where art thou? Are we really committed to this thing? Because you see, the fact is not many Christians, and folks, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers here this evening. I'm just saying in the world of Christendom, not many Christians are really committed to winning souls to Christ. We know it's supposed to be done. We know that God will save them. Sometimes, as we looked last week, sometimes it's a fear. We need to stand up and be counted and be bold. But I'm just saying it takes some commitment. It takes commitment of time. It takes commitment of prayers. The only way we're going to know the power of God on our lives is to spend time on our knees. There is absolutely no great revival. I didn't get that far this morning in the sermon when we're looking at the functions of the church and, and what worship is all about. One of the illustrations, I'll have to tell it again when I get there, but well, one of the things that just absolutely that thrilled my soul when I read it, and I've never been able to forget it. Most of you know that I guess, you know, one of my um, favorite preachers of bygone years, of course, is C.H. Spurgeon. And I remember reading a number of his biographies, and one of those things that stood out in a number of them, and that was the prayer room underneath the platform. When Spurgeon was asked himself, what is this? Why is it that when you stand there and preach that why, why is it that so many people's lives are changed? Why are so many lives touched? Why are they packing this place out? And why are you having to ask the church members to stay home every now and then just so all those lost people can get in? And of course, Spurgeon was one of the humblest of humble. Spurgeon was one that went home and cried because he had done, been such a failure for God in the pulpit that day. <laughs> Spurgeon said, no, the power is not in the pulpit, it's under the pulpit. Beneath the platform that he preached on there, there was a room, and I've read different numbers, a couple hundred, three hundred. It was a room that would hold a fair number of people. And of course, if you've ever seen the pictures of the old Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was a big platform in those days. The whole time he was on the platform preaching, that prayer room was full of people on their knees praying, praying. We can't overstate the importance of it. If we're going to be soul winners, it's going to take some commitment. Commitment on our knees, commitment in time, commitment to be willing to let that be a priority in our lives. I want to give you this final thought this evening. Where art thou? Where art thou? Are you near the goal? 
I won't turn there and read the passage, but most of us are very familiar. We read right down to it this morning and stopped the Apostle Paul in writing to young Timothy. He said, I finished the course. I kept the faith. He talked about now being at the end of that goal. He says, now there's, there's a crown of righteousness. Not for me only, but for all men of the Lord. How close to the goal are we? How close to the goal? What is the goal in our lives? Where do we want to get to? <laughs> I, can, I can remember as a young man, and believe me, I was a lot more fit than I am now. I can remember in boot camp, when they're trying to teach you how to have that stamina that, that a soldier needs to have. And I can remember, I, I can't even remember the distance now, but they did all these crazy things, you know, like 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups and running all these miles and all this stuff. And, and I remember sometimes you get out there and, boy, you're running and you're running. Well, if you're, you know, if, if, you, if you're thinking three miles down the road, you're going to be ready to quit because you feel like you're dying already. But you know what? I could always, I could always see that next corner. I could, I could get to there, and then I can get to there, and then I can get to there. You know, if we don't have goals in life, chances are we're not going to get anywhere. You know, we sing that great old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. <laughs> you know, what is it that the psalmist says, without a vision we perish? Where are we going? What are we wanting with our lives? Are we really genuinely committed to this thing? The Lord's left us here to win souls, that the work of Christ can be carried on in our life. That's why you're here. It's why I'm here. It's why this church is here, that the work of Jesus Christ can be carried on to seek and to save that which was lost. We're not here on holiday. We're not here to build up our riches on this earth. We're here that the work of Christ can be accomplished in our lives. What's our goal? How near the goal line are we? What are we really, really wanting out of life? You know, for some, it may be the pearly gates. It's the next stop. Where art thou? We know that Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed... Unto man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. Appointed unto man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. I, I'm sure that you, like myself, I can look back in my life, and not only with people that I've known, but of course being in the ministry, you get called on many times to say those few words after somebody has left this world. You know, I've had to do funerals for little tiny babies. Tiny, tiny babies. I've hardly even been in this world any time at all. I've had to do funerals for young children. I've had to do funerals a number of times for young people that, you know, here they are in their teens and they think that they're invincible. I can remember at 15 years old. A friend of mine, not only a friend of mine, but like his parents and my parents had been friends for most of their lives. And I mean, you know, 
we were good friends. We worked together and we knew each other and all this. And at 15 years old, he just went swimming one day, which most all young people do. But he dived off that rock on a different side than he ever had before. And when he hit the bottom, his neck was snapped and he was gone. He was out of this world at 15 years old. I had another young young man that was actually the brother of the guy that was my age. He was a younger brother, about two years younger, when I was in high school. You know, he was, he was a, a sharp young man, a clean-cut young man. He wasn't one that was out, you know, trying to throw away his life. He wasn't out doing stupid things. He was just driving down the road one day on his motorcycle. And just as he got to that side road, this pickup truck pulls right out in front of him, and he never knew anything after that. Just like that, he was gone out of this world. Folks, I'm not saying that to try to work on your emotions. I'm just simply saying that is life, and we see it around us all the time. And it doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are. The real matters is that first question that God ever asked in the Garden of Eden, where art thou right now in your life? If you're in sin, you need to get in Christ. And if you're in Christ, we need to be in the center of his will. We need to be right where God wants us to be, doing what he wants us to, whatever else it costs in this world. That's the only place we're going to ever really know happiness, where God wants us to be. There's no room for lukewarmness, for trying to live a life of no commitment, for trying to be in between. We need to be committed to the Lord. I'll tell you what, folks. When Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for you and I, he was committed all the way. And he went to that cross, and he paid that ultimate price. We need that kind of commitment. We need to be committed to the work like he was. None of us know how near we are to the goal line. We know that when this life finishes, we're going to stand before God. Now, I trust and pray that each of you know that you'll not be at the great white throne, but that you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. You know where you're going to spend eternity. As Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, that's a subject that gets harder and harder and harder to preach about. We live in a world that doesn't want anything to do with that part of God's Word. Hell is a real place. Hell is a place that is going to be there for eternity. Heaven, hell. There's only two eternal abiding places. Where are we going to be, with God or with the devil and his angels? You see, here's, here's what we've got to grasp. I don't care how unpopular that it comes, Brother Steve. We need to recognize those people that we're meeting every day, every one of them are going to spend eternity in one of those two places. I can tell you this. It's not real enough to us. It's not even real enough to your pastor. Matter of fact, I think if it was probably real enough to us, I'm not sure that we'd get to the end of this service this evening. 
I think we might be making a beeline for that door to get outside of these four walls to get to those people that we care about to somehow, some way, try to get them to Jesus Christ. It needs to be more real to all of us. Thank God that we can have the assurance of knowing that we're not going there. But folks, where are we? Where are we in our commitment to the Lord? Where are we? You know, I, I, I say again, we're, we're, we're looking and soon going out here and, and, and knocking on these doors again. Are we committed to do that? Are we going to shy away? Are we going to find excuses? Are we going to be too nervous to do it? Without Jesus Christ behind every one of those doors, moms, dads, and children, without Jesus Christ, they have no hope. Without Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity in hell. It is our responsibility. God has placed us in this neighborhood, in this community. This is where we are. This is where God's got us right now. We need to be committed to the work at hand. Where art thou? You see, I'm not saying that this evening, except that I go right back to that simple thing that we talked about a while ago. You can do what you want. You can go where you go. You can do anything that you want to to try to change it. But unless you're where God wants you to be, you're not going to know that real joy, that real contentment. You're gonna, not going to know that real peace in your heart of being where he wants you. Where are you this evening? Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, I know that this is a very simple thought and Lord, I know I've skipped over some of the passages, but Lord, just speaking from the heart this evening, Lord, we know that you've got a job for us to do. And we could very easily look around and say, well, where are all the others tonight? Well, we can't do anything about the others. The first thing we need to do is make sure that we're where we need to be. And I know for a fact, Lord, Lord, I know I'm in the center of your will. Lord, I also know. I know this thing needs to be more real to me. I know that, that that's, Lord, that you need out of each and every one of us here more commitment because none of us here this evening are as committed as Jesus Christ was. And, Lord, I pray that you could begin. Lord, your great works, the great revivals of bygone years, they... They don't begin with big masses. They begin with a handful of people that will get serious before God, that will get on their face before God, that will really believe that God will do something through them. Lord, this evening I pray. Lord, I can't speak to the ones that are here. I'll have to leave that to you to do. Oh, but I pray this evening. I pray, Lord, that you'd take these words, that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to understand that first simple question that you ask Adam, where art thou? We all need to answer that question this evening. Lord, we need to answer it. And as we answer it and realize where we are, then Lord, it can help us to see what we need to do to get where we need to be. I pray, Lord, that you do that work that only you can do and that you'd receive all the glory and all the honor for it. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.